let you mingle a bit. Get your seats. Yes. Hello. <laughs> uh, can we all just like take a deep breath for a hot second? I don't know if any of you felt like the last 40 minutes was like bonkers, but I can tell you that it was a bit bonkers for us here. So in Jesus' name, we're going to be at peace. Let's just take a deep breath. Sometimes you just got to do that. All right, well, hello, everyone. I'm Pastor Christina, as Donica said. Um, I'm, oh, I didn't know you were here. <laughs> Welcome, Rory Green. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Pastor Rory preaches for us sometimes. Pastor Eddie and I lead young adults together with our friend Chantel. Anyways, that's who I am. So, hello. Um, quick plug, it is Black History Month. So just in case you didn't know that, which you probably did, but just as a side note, this is totally for free. Uh, Eddie and I watched this awesome documentary called Unspoken that's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's about the history of Christianity and how it has many African roots that we practically never talk about. Um, and it's awesome. So I highly recommend it. It's called Unspoken on Amazon. Uh, Black History Month is a great opportunity to just grow in awareness, get educated a little more, and it's a great, great documentary. So there you go. Um, tonight, guys, we're going to be talking about Jesus and the man born blind. We're in our Holiness and Humanity series. We are going to be in John 9, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, and while Jesus, we've heard a lot of stories of different times that Jesus is healed, even already in this series, and some of them, um, Jesus interacts with people in the synagogue or at the well, uh, in a lot of different places. But in our story tonight, Jesus is just on the road. He's just taking a walk with his friends in town, with his disciples. And as he goes on this walk, he's like, that man, I'm going to heal him. And the thing I want to tell you tonight is that Jesus still goes on walks today. And we don't see him the same way. I wish we could. We don't get to feel him physically or see him physically. But Jesus is all the time going on walks, going to heal people all the time. But we don't always have eyes to see it, I don't think. Maybe it has to do with our expectation of what miracles are. Then maybe we don't have eyes to see it. Maybe we're just not in the place spiritually to see it. Um, but he does them. For example, just in the last month, I had a friend who had been struggling from a sudden onset of chronic pain, onset of chronic pain, um, and it was for weeks. And here at First Wednesday, she got healed, which was awesome. I had a friend who, um, through complete strangers, got a large sum of money given to her out of nowhere. <laughs> like, for real, that happened. It was awesome. Um, I got to talk to a friend on the phone a couple weeks ago who was one of my roommates in college, um, and we hadn't talked in, like, 10 years. So it was just one of those, like, I saw her thing on Instagram. I was like, oh, my gosh, holy, like, I haven't talked to her in forever. So we connected, and we were like, here's a two-hour conversation to catch up on a 10-year gap that we don't know anything about each other, <laughs> so let's do what we can. And uh, she told me this amazing testimony, so amazing, about 
how uh, her and her husband had really felt led to adopt, but specifically they had it on their heart to adopt before they had any biological children. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, um, <laughs> they wanted to adopt, they're praying over it, and the way the Lord, this really happened, the way the Lord provided the money for them to adopt their daughter was by their husband getting on a game show, and he won the game show, and he won $25,000. Like, and it was so fun for him. Like, we think of adoption, it's like, and it is, it's super hard work, it's a long process, but I just love that the Lord was like, here's a game show, here's some money. It's awesome. Um, there's lots of examples. I have a friend who God provided them a housing situation this month when they didn't know where they were going to live. God's provided stuff for us with our family. I mean, it's just literally, I sat down and I was like, there's even more than I thought there was to give them examples. There's so many things that Jesus is doing all the time, all the time. And I want to talk about tonight, are we expectant and living with anticipation to see Jesus doing these things for us? Or is there things getting in the way of allowing us to see them and really allowing us to see him? So let me pray for us. Father, we just come to you um, with grateful hearts for this moment in time that we get to sit together and we get to hear your word for this moment where these friends have chosen to come and be with us tonight. We never, ever take it for granted that people come and we're so grateful. And so God, would you just meet us here? Holy Spirit, I say, come Holy Spirit. We know you've been here. We've been worshiping you. Your presence is here. But God, I pray that you would in this moment just speak through your word. I pray that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight. And that you would just bless this time for opening our ears to hear what you want to say. Opening our hearts to sense what you want to tell us. To open our minds and our eyes to see you, God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 9. There's no space on the stand for my iPad and my Bible, so that's why I'm turning around. Anyways, here it is. Here's my Bible. So, John chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind? Did this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground made mud with the saliva, and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Jesus said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went away and washed. When he returned, he could see. He could see. Like, think about that. This man who had spent his life struggling... And in this culture, he would have been poor. The reason he's where he is is because he's begging for his survival. Because in that culture, he wouldn't have been able to find a job. He wouldn't have had any provision. And now he can see. All of a sudden, just like that. 
like, can you imagine that? It's really hard for us, I think, to have a frame of reference for that because it was literally impossible. Like he was born with blindness, and as he grew in age, he had to reconcile the fact that he would never see. He would, the animals that he pet, he would never know what they really looked like. The smells that he smelled, he would never be able to see where they came from. And maybe he had already grieved at this point in his life, like, that's just where I am. Like, I'll never have those things. I'll never have access to that. And then all of a sudden, he does. Like, in a second. He just was like, oh, this guy's putting mud on my eyes, and now I can see. That's what's going on with this guy, which is just incredible. But what else is going on in this, like, brief description we have of this story? The disciples and the others in the community believed that his disability was because of sin. And the scriptural connection to why they thought that is fairly weak. Like, there's a few Old Testament passages that they could have been referencing, like, of why they connected that. But, again, it's really weak. They're not specific. I think it's more likely that it's a cultural assumption. That this culture had been reading Old Testament passages, then formulating assumptions and judgments on others' lives because of it. And then you do that five years, ten years, generations, and you get to the place where when you see a blind man on the street, the first assumption is, well, what sin caused his blindness? That's a big assumption. But apparently it was cultural. Like the disciples just asked that like it's normal to ask that question, you know. In social psychology, there's this term called fundamental attribution error. I don't know if you've heard of this. I had not heard of it until this last week. Fundamental attribution error is this. Um, If good things happen to me, then I attribute it to coming from internally, from within myself. If bad things happen to me, then I attribute it to external factors outside of me. But if good things happen to other people, I attribute it to outside things. And if bad things happen to other people, then I attribute it to bad things within them. That's kind of bonkers, right? But we definitely do that. I think about, like, I grew up hearing the phrase, um, something good happened to me, so I must be doing something right. So something happened good, that came from within me. But how often on the street when we see a homeless person are we like, oh, Like, they did that to themselves. We don't think, what happened to them? What external factor can we attribute to their homelessness? We say it's inside. And it's what the disciples were doing. They were making a fundamental attribution error. They were saying, this man is blind, something bad happened to him, and it's because of something within him or his family. That's why it happened. And this is a dangerous error to make, especially regarding the things of God, because we are not God, (laughs) right? We're not God. We don't see people's hearts. Like, we can barely understand our own hearts, let alone somebody else's. But we often treat others based off of assumptions we have made about the cause of their situation. So if we believe, like the homeless person 
this came from inside of them, we tend to show less mercy. But if we think it came from outside of them, then we think, oh, there's mercy for that. Like, you didn't choose to have cancer. You didn't choose to get in a car accident. You didn't, you know, you didn't choose for your family's house to get hit by a hurricane. Those are all external things. And that leads us often to have more mercy. But if we're judgmental and we attach an assumption we've made about the cause of their pain, sometimes we can be less merciful, right? I want to share a story with you that's an example of this. Um, some of you who know me will already know the story because I talk about it a fair amount, but we're going to talk about it anyways. <laughs> um, okay, this story is about a woman named Philomena Lee. She, uh, there's a movie about her, if you want to watch it, called Philomena, P-H, Philomena. Philomena got pregnant when she was 18, and she was living in the 1950s in Ireland. So you can imagine the culture was not very friendly to a woman who got pregnant as a teenager outside of marriage in a highly Catholic, highly intense society. And in that time, there was this thing that was common called like Magdalene laundries, if you've heard of that, or just different facilities where they would make women who they had considered like fallen, and they would put them and make them work in these laundries. So Philomena gets pregnant. She was already living in a convent because her mother had died young and her father like couldn't have her at home. So then he's like, well, you definitely can't come home now. So she gets sent to a different convent uh, called the Sean Ross Abbey, which is in Rosscray, Ireland, in the middle of the country. And when she goes there, um, they, they, it's the nature of the laundry is punitive, meaning that everything basically was like you have to pay penance for your sin. So she ends up having her child named Anthony in the laundry. They give her no pain meds, nothing, because, well, this you caused this. This is your fault. So we're not going to help you. We're just going to, like, let the child be born. And then the other evil thing that the nuns were doing at this particular convent was they started to, uh, to make money. They started adopting the children of the women in the facility out to places in Canada and the United States and around the world, um, basically without permission, but it was basically inner permission was like under coercion because it was like, again, you're paying for penance. You don't deserve to have this baby. Like, you did this, and now you're in this situation. So Philomena has her son, Anthony. When he's two years old, he gets given up for adoption to a family in the United States. And something about Philomena's story, like, connected and rooted itself so deep in me. But maybe because of the injustice of it, maybe because just, like, this element where she spent, she didn't talk about it for 50 years that this even happened. And then 50 years go by, and she, like, tries to find him. And it's, it's an amazing thing, like, amazing thing to watch. But anyway, so I got so connected to it that when Eddie and I went to Ireland a few years ago, I was like, we have to go to Roscray, Ireland. I need to see the convent. <laughs> like, we're just going to cut straight through the country and stop there. And so we, we went, and long story short is that, of like, the craziest part was that we go to the town, 
And like Eddie was so gracious, he had like gotten the coordinates where we had the GPS, we had rented a car, like we were gonna find it. And even like despite signage and all of those things that we had access to, it took us going to like a tiny local tourist shop to find a guy who was like, oh, do you want the map of the town or do you want the map? <laughs> and I was like, I want the map. <laughs> I want to go to the convent. <laughs> and so he gives it to us, we find it. Here's what the convent looked like. It's like a big wide picture I sent them, so it's hard, kind of hard to see. Um, at the top, it's several buildings and it's not in use anymore, obviously, but like when we went, you could just feel the oppression, like, the spiritual weight of it, the heaviness of like, what happened here? Then we're walking around the property and we see that gate, the black gate. And what's really interesting about that gate is like, it was very conspicuous. It was not in an obvious place, um, but it was kind of like around the corner from this big open, beautiful cemetery that was for the sisters, for the nuns. It was in like a, the open space by the convent. So, of course, I see the gate, and I'm like, we have to go through the gate. It's like the secret garden. Look at it, you know? So we go through the gate, and that's the path underneath there that we walk through. And then it takes us to this open plot. And I just described to you, right, like how we found it. And the sister's plot that was a, the graveyard was like in the open. This was a graveyard for all of the women and children that died in the convent. Um, and it's like hidden. It's off the beaten path. We saw like just so heavy, just so many grievous things. And the first thing I thought was like, who's ever going to know that this happened? Like who would ever, you walk on this property, you would never even know that this is there. So part of what I'm telling you is because it happened and I'm telling you. And the world will know that I saw it that it exists, but also these nuns, because they believed that they could judge Philomena's life on earth and the thousands of others who were in these laundries, because they believed that they could do that and have control over the consequences for them, what could have been a place of like recovery, rehabilitation, refuge, care, when they've been rejected by their families, they've been rejected by the culture, they've been rejected by society, and they could have been a safe place, but it ended up becoming a place of mistreatment, despair, and for some of them, death. And I wonder, when we think about things like that, how many people do you think probably pass by that blind man thinking the same thing? Like, oh, I guess he just had sin in his life. It caused him to be blind. I don't know. I'm not going to take care of him. I guess this happened from his family, like just passing him by, not taking care of him. Even the Pharisees in the town, who are the religious people, they do nothing. He doesn't have any shelter in the tabernacle or in the temple or anywhere. You know, like there's nothing. And when Jesus brought holiness into humanity, which is what we're talking about, God came down in human form through Jesus to earth, he strips us away of our self-righteousness. And we don't get to decide the consequences of our own sin or somebody else's sin or mistakes or in errors. Our job is to point them to the one who can heal them. 
to point them to refuge, care, rehabilitation. That's our job. I think what's really interesting about the blind man is like he didn't, he didn't even ask for the healing. Did you notice that in the story? He wasn't like, oh, that, because there's some stories like that, right? Where they're like, I hear the name of Jesus. Like, I've heard amazing things. Jesus, I need to get to you. He's just like sitting there and Jesus is just like, I'm putting mud on your face. Go wash and be healed. You know, it just happens to him. Like, there you go. And on the one hand, I think, gosh, that's so beautiful. It's a reminder of what God can do with simple things. Doesn't take, God doesn't need a whole big thing to do a miracle in your life. He just needs his own spit and some mud, and he can do it. But, like, on the flip side of the same coin, I, I do wonder, like, it would probably be a normal reaction for a person <laughs> to be like, wait a second, like, what's happening right now? You know, like, he can't see anything. He doesn't know what's happening. All of a sudden, there's just, like, mud on his face, and somebody's like, go wash. And he's like, okay, you know, like, it would kind of make sense for him to be a little, like, taken aback, right? That would make sense, like physical reaction. But it's a clear willingness that he has in the story, even though it's not described to us, like this is what the man felt. This is what the man was thinking when he obeyed Jesus. We just see the willingness by his actions. So when Jesus says, go wash, the man just, he just does it. He's like, okay. And I wonder if it's like that for us. If something bad happens to us or something uncomfortable or something unexpected, and then it could very well be that God has something in mind to use that for something really awesome. And so he's like, would you just, like, partner with me a little bit? And he asks us into it. Do we say yes to that invitation? Do we, like, lean into the discomfort, like, ooh, I don't know, but maybe it'll be okay, so I guess I'll say yes or do we just kind of like what we expected the blind man to do, kind of lean back and be like, wait a second, I don't know. The man said yes to what Jesus asked of him and humbling himself to let Jesus do with mud what only Jesus could do. He gets healed. So when Jesus does reveal himself to us through others, through his spirit, through his word, when he attempts to restore our humanity, and lead us into holiness, do we shy away from him? And kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. Or do we say, yes, God, you have my yes. This is uncomfortable. I don't know what's going to happen, but yes. After Jesus heals the man, the Pharisees, bum, 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 <laughs> enter the picture <laughs> And uh, the Pharisees go to his neighbors, they go to his parents, they come to him a second time, and they're like, were you really blind from birth? Like, is that true? And tell us again how you got healed. Because they're real mad that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. They have no consideration for the fact that a blind man who could not see is now seeing and living to tell you about it. And the blind man just keeps answering all the questions the same and just he tells the same story like two more times and he says to them like because they're saying Jesus is a sinner he like who would heal on the Sabbath and the man's like I don't know if he's a sinner all I know is that I was blind and now I see that's right 
That's all I know. And so they get mad at this man's answers because of it's not fitting what they want. And when they get mad, they cast him out. And what that means is that they declared him socially, a socially religious outcast, a heretic, placing him in a position of shame and exclusion, as if like he hadn't already lived that his entire life up to this point. So he's like, he has like less than 24 hours of like, I can see. And then the Pharisees are like, you're out. So the story picks up. We're going to go to verses, verse 35. And it says, Jesus heard that they had expelled him or cast him out. Finding him, I love that. Finding him, Jesus said, do you believe in the human one or the son of man? He answered, who is he, sir? I, I want to believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Like Jesus is kind of funny sometimes. I'm right here. That's me. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, I have come into the world to exercise judgment so that those who don't see can see. And those who see will become blind. The Pharisees who were with him heard what he said and asked, surely we aren't blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. When Jesus asks the man who was blind the question, do you believe in the human one or do you believe in the son of man? He could be referring to this Old Testament scripture found in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. It says, as I continued to watch this night vision of mine, I suddenly saw one like a human being or like a son of man coming with the heavenly clouds. He came to the ancient one and presented, was presented before him. Rule, glory, and kingship were given to him. All peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. His rule is an everlasting one and it will never pass away. His kingship is indestructible. I love that. The man who was blind believes in this moment that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Daniel. And we know that because of his reaction. It's the only place in the Gospel of John where we have it actually written out for us to know that somebody worshiped Jesus. So he's like, I was blind. I couldn't see. Now I can see. I just got all these questions about this guy. I don't even know this guy. And now he's coming to talk to me again. And I think of this verse, of course, like, what else am I going to do? I have to worship him. And it's really cool that the Lord does that because if you notice, like, in other stories, a lot of times we'll get, like, here's the event. Here's when the healing happened. And we learn about it from whatever perspective and then we kind of move on through the narration of the Gospels, like to the next thing. But I love that in this story, Jesus healed him, and then he goes to find him again. I think that's a word for somebody. Like, he doesn't give up just because it was like, I said the Lord's Prayer, and now i got to figure out my life. Jesus is watching you the whole time. He's going on walks all the time. 
The Pharisees, on the other hand, did not view Jesus like this, obviously. Uh, they had physical sight, which was a gift that that blind man was not born with. They could see. They could see what Jesus was doing. They'd heard about it. They'd seen it with their own eyes. But they're blind to the glory of Jesus. They had even come to believe, like I mentioned earlier, that Jesus was a sinner. And you remember we've kind of talked about this some in the series, like what that term means in this context. It's not like, like Jackie Hill Perry says, like, hey, saints, hey, ain'ts. You know, like, hey, people who know God, hey, people who don't know God. <laughs> I love that so much. The first time I heard it, I was like, yes. Um, she's just the best. But anyway, so <laughs> it's not like that. It's not like Jesus, they're assuming Jesus was a man who didn't know God. They were putting him in a specific cultural moment of the time, what they believed sinfulness looked like. And they were calling him that. And it, it is a bit complex when Jesus, like, lists those things when he talks with the Pharisees around. And he's like, those who can't see will see. Those who do see will become blind. And the point that Jesus is making with blindness is that the Pharisees, who are the people he's saying, see but will become blind. It's because they think they see accurately. Maybe even they think they see perfectly through an earthly lens of self-righteousness. They think they have all the answers. But by claiming the earthly sight, they condemn themselves by the fact that they don't have the eyes of faith. They're like agreeing to the fact that they don't, but they don't even realize it. They can't see their own selves for who they are, let alone see Jesus for who he is. They see the miracle, but not the miracle worker, right? If they saw him truly, if they saw him as the miracle worker that he is, that he was in that moment, if they saw with eyes of faith, they wouldn't be waging a war against his character, doubting all of his miracles, they wouldn't be asking all these questions about him and interrogating people. They would worship him just like the blind man did. I, when I was studying this week, I saw this awesome quote in some, one of the books that I had been reading, and it says, the scandal is not simply that the darkness cannot see the light, but that also it cannot see itself for what it is. And we're all in need of Jesus' healing in order to see physically, Yes, but spiritually. To be able to see with eyes of faith, like only Jesus can do that for us. But we have to first recognize that we are in fact blind without him. That we are in fact in the darkness. And Jesus is the light of the world. Just like he said back in verse 5, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Which actually even references back to John 1, verses 4 and 5. When it says, what came into being through the word was life, and the life was the light for all people. All people. All people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. In the same way that you remember Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that he's living water, here he's telling us he's a light that can never be extinguished. A light that can never be claimed by darkness, can never be overtaken. And these are impossible claims. Like he's saying, I'm 
water that like you'll never be thirsty. That's a very large claim, impossible claim. I'm light that darkness can never overcome. It will never, darkness can never be in the light. It will always be light to me. In, in the Psalms, it will always, darkness will be light to me. In the same way that he tells us Samaritan woman those things, he's saying it to reveal his glory. He's saying it to reveal the glory of God to others because it like stirs up in the soul of their hearts to challenge what they've always known, to challenge thoughts they've always had, to make room for the miraculous. And we talked about how incredible it is that the blind man could see. Like, it's so amazing. And, and it's a, he, Jesus did an impossibility by healing his physical blindness. But spiritually, it's just as radical. The physical healing that we see of the blind man is a picture of the radical spiritual healing that happens when someone believes in Jesus. Because it's the darkness of the soul being exposed to the light of the world and becoming light with him. You know how in um, the middle of the night when you have to go to the bathroom and you lay there and you think, I don't want to do that. Like, it's cold outside of my blanket. It's the middle of the night. It's pitch dark. I don't want to do it. But you're like, I have to. There's no option. So a couple things with this. First is, you have to wake up and you feel your way around, you know, and you break a couple toes and then you're fine and you keep wandering and you like feel around, you're like, okay, my, I can kind of see, like I know where I'm going. You get to the bathroom. First of all, I don't care if you're five years old or if you're 36 years old like me. In the middle of the day, a toilet flush is like ambient noise. It's like, oh, this is just life. This is a part of my day. In the middle of the night, a toilet flush is like Niagara Falls, like just like, it's so scary. And I'm that person that's like, okay, flush and run, go, go, go. Like, I did it. I don't want to be in here anymore. I hate that sound. So that's just one part. But the second part is that if you are like a normal human and you have to turn the light on to go to the bathroom, not like an alien that can pee in the dark, you go in and you're like, okay, I got the light on. And immediately there's like a thousand needles stinging your eyeballs. Because you're like, it's so bright. I was in the dark. But then you're, as your eyes adjust, you're like, okay, there's my sink. There's a toilet. Okay, there we go. I'm good. You know? And I feel like when we become believers and we're exposed to Jesus' light and we're coming out of our darkness into light, it's a similar experience. It's like... When all you've known is this, darkness. We've, until we know Jesus, we have known nothing else. Until that moment where Jesus helps us see that we are blind, in fact, and we need him. So when you have only darkness to reference, and then now you're exposed to this light, it's like, oh gosh, like, my eyes kind of need to adjust. And like, I'm getting used to more light in my life. And it's kind of like helping me see, but I'm still getting used to it. I'm kind of feeling my way around the Christian life a bit and like, what's this and what's that? And now I'm able to see like some of the things that were in the dark become clearer. And now I know they're in my life. And there's some things that I'm like, oh my gosh, like I never would have known about this and it's awesome. But now that I have light, I can see it. And I think in the same way, as we are adjusting to the things that the Lord is revealing to us, light does 
three different things. Light dispels the darkness that caused us to be afraid. Light exposes the things that could have hurt us because we didn't see them. So now we have this supernatural light to be able to see. And light gives clarity. It gives direction for our life. Just like in Psalm 119, 105, when, Jesus, or when God says in Psalms, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Helps me see, helps me make decisions, helps me figure out where I'm going because the world is very dark. That's still true of the world, even if we have light. And even after we are healed and forgiven in Jesus, we spend the rest of our life with Jesus kind of exposing us to like blind spots. I didn't know that was a part of my life. Now God's kind of showing me that it is and now I need to deal with it. Or he'll show us like, where have we let darkness creep back in? Like I know that I'm the Lord's, I know what's true, but man, I, I still have these things that like creep back into my life. Because it's not like when we choose to believe and we have the eyes of faith that now we have because of Jesus, that we never struggle ever again to see a different way. That we never struggle with the way that we used to see. We have eyes of faith, but sometimes we put on some lenses like this one. Comparison, right? Yes. <laughs> did I do it? I did it backwards last time. <laughs> Comparison. Right? Like, I know what's true. I have the eyes of faith. But sometimes I put this on, and now I can't see, like, oh, man. Like, I really love that person's gifting. I love what they get to do. I wish I had that. Like, man, I wish I looked like that. I wish I had that in my life. I wish I was married already. I wish I was single already. I wish I was whatever. Like, you can't be, not me, but people. Love you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but comparison, comparison can be a lens that we, that we put on. What about this one? Mm -hmm. Insecurity. We're like, I know who I am in the Lord. I can read his word. I know that Isaiah 43 says, God says, I love you. You are mine. But then I kind of look at my life and I'm like, I don't know. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I really called to that? Am, uh, is this really where I'm supposed to be right now? Um, this is something that I just think is wrong about me, and nobody will ever tell me otherwise. It's just a broken part of who I am, and I have to carry it around for my whole life. This one. Bad theology. Mm -hmm. I can say that this, I've, I mean, all of these I've experienced, but this one for sure. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here right now if God hadn't dealt with this. I didn't believe that women could do what I'm doing right now. I thought it was only for men. I didn't know women could preach the word of God to people. I thought it was only for men. And God was like, you are mine. You, it has nothing to do with your salvation, but you have bad theology. You were taught something and you have carried it as a lens in the way that you view what can happen in the church and what you can do in ministry, and I want to take it all. 
Praise God. Uh, past experiences. Ooh, woof. <laughs> right? Sometimes we're like, I've been running the race. I, that's rough in my past, but I'm pressing on. And then sometimes the devil wants to just throw that back in your face and be like, yeah, but remember that? And we have to be really careful. This happened. Past experiences are something we learn from. God will use them to establish other truths in your life. He will reveal lies that you believed at that time. But this cannot be a part of the way we view the world. How about this one? Pride. Eddie said it so well a couple weeks ago when he said pride is two-sided. There's pride of, I believe that uh, I'm so great and I, I puff myself up to the point of like assuming that I will get all these things in life and that I don't need God, essentially. Or God doesn't love me. I'm worthless. How could anyone ever love me? That is a lie from the enemy. And when God reveals to us, hey, you think too highly, you think too lowly. I'm not asking you to not think about yourself. I'm asking for you to think about yourself in light of me, not in light of this. A couple more. This one. Cynicism. Okay? The world is a dark place, for sure. There's a lot of bad things that happen. We talked about some of them tonight. But Eddie and I just learned this recently in a training that we did. If you look at a spectrum of cynicism here, optimism here, both of them are bad. This much, like, only optimism is actually, like, the um, growing place for narcissism. Because it's like, I have no reality. Cynicism is the breeding ground for depression, despair. Why would I want to live when nothing's ever good? So ideally, we want to be a little bit right of center between the middle and optimism. And what was fascinating was they said that if you can grow, in, like if you're way over here, every bit that you grow towards optimism actually increases your lifespan more than a smoker who quits smoking. Like that's the power of this. And I really believe that's because what we would call this is hope. Right? Like, supernaturally, this is like, well, nothing makes sense. The world is for sure bonkers. But, like, I can hold on to something that is bigger than me. And I don't need to be the person that's bigger than me. I just need to hold on to the person that's bigger than me. Right? Last one. Selfishness. <laughs> Woo. Yep, that's a snort. I've done that two times now when I preach. Sorry. Love you. No, not sorry. It's okay. Um, anyway, selfishness. <laughs> uh, again, God isn't saying, like, don't consider yourself. I would say I know way more people in my life that think way too less of themselves than struggle with this. But selfishness, if we're not careful, is the thing that can get in the way of how am I going to serve other people? Am I considering other people before myself? Am I saying, in this scenario, I could do this, but I know that my roommate would rather me do this, and I can love my roommate that way. I would want to do this, but instead of doing that with my coworker, I'm going to do this. 
because that cares for them and it shows Jesus to them. So the story of the blind man, it makes us pause. It makes us pause to make sure, do we have on the right lenses? When we're saved, we still have to walk out Colossians 3, which is when Paul says, when you have Jesus, you still got to take some things off and put some things on. You're going to spend your whole life doing that. He saved you at the beginning, but he saves us continually the rest of our lives. That's what sanctification is. He's saving us from ourselves all the time and making us more like him. And through his word, through his light, through his people, through his spirit, God mercifully shows us when we haven't taken off old lenses yet. And he shows us the way to put on new ones. So the band can go ahead and come. My friend and fellow pastor, Jordan Victoria Lewis, who is here. So I'm going to point you out. <laughs> oh, we love Jordan. Uh, Jordan is a poet, if you did not know that about her. And Jordan has written a poem for every chapter of the Bible. Not every book of the Bible, every chapter of the Bible. And I can tell you that that's true because I have them in my house. She graciously gave them to me for like a year now. Thank you. So this week I went back to read the poem that she wrote for John chapter 9. And I loved this line in the poem. She said, humility bows down to a mud cake healing and receives the light of life. The man who was born blind humbled himself before Jesus. He wasn't ready to necessarily, but when the opportunity came, that's what he did. And then he worshiped him. He was able to see Jesus for who he truly is and believe. He saw with his physical eyes, but he saw with the eyes of his spirit as well. So I just wanted to invite you as I close just to sit in a posture of prayer that could look like if you want to spread around the room and kneel if you want to just be in a posture where you're seated but I just wanted you to close your eyes and get quiet before the Lord um, and I just want to ask you some questions I want to ask you some questions to think through and I just say Holy Spirit come like Holy Spirit speak into this moment say what you want to say to all of us in this room to our friends does Jesus have your yes? Firstly, I mean by salvation, for sure. Have you ever just said yes to Jesus with your whole life to begin with? But also when he reveals himself to you through others or his word or his spirit, when he attempts to restore your humanity and lead you into holiness, are you shying away from him? Or do you say, yes, Lord, and embrace him? Where are you at with your awareness of self? Are you able to see yourself and others with mercy, knowing that we all need God? Or more judgmental, attributing things to others based off of their sin or off of your assumptions about them? 
Remember that scripture says mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you really see Jesus? Do you have eyes of faith to see him for who he is? And if you do, what other lenses have you maybe let slip back onto your face that you need to take off? And what lenses do you need to put on instead? Like if you have lenses of pride, do you need to put on humility? If you have lenses of comparison, do you need to put on gratitude? Last question. Are you in danger of being in church and being around the things of God, but never embracing him? Just because you see the things of God does not mean you are beholding him truly or that you believe him. And friends, if you are not embracing him, you are in danger of rejecting him. Believe me, you may not understand it all. You never will understand it all. But when you embrace Jesus and give him your life, you will spend your lifetime understanding and loving him more every year that you get older. Every season you experience how he meets you in it. Every dark night of the soul that he makes brighter because the darkness cannot quench his light. And no one, no one is too far to be found. Father, thank you for this moment. Jesus, thank you that you did miracles on earth that we can talk about. You didn't have to do that. You could have done it so many ways. But God, you chose to come here to live like us, to live in it with us, and to touch people's lives to show us that we are worth you doing that. And I thank you, God. Thank you for the blind man. Thank you for the miracle that you did for him. And thank you, God, that I know and we see that you are the same God today. That you still want to do those miracles. You're still doing those miracles now. God, would you give us the eyes to see them? Lord, I pray over all of us that you would give us a lens, not only of all these things that are right, but of anticipation. That we would wake up each day and pause in the middle of the day and end the day saying, oh my gosh, I just can't wait to see what God is going to do. I can't wait. He's going to do something awesome because that's who he is. God, would you increase our optimism, our hope. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for everyone here tonight. God, would you continue, Holy Spirit, to just let the things that you said tonight to them in this moment, would you let them take those with them? And anything else that is not of you, that they don't need to remember, let it fall to the ground. Do your work, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's worship with gratefulness, the only one who can restore humanity and make us holy. <laughs>